see everybody. This is kind of weird being back in the building. You know, we've been having a great time meeting outside, but it is getting darker sooner. It'll start getting cold and windy and rainy, so we don't know when exactly that'll happen, but it's good to see a packed house. You guys, pretty packed. That's exciting, because I love to get together with my brothers and sisters and see one another and fellowship together. Amen. Can you do me a favor? Don't stop coming because we're not having tri-tip and burgers and that stuff. Amen? I mean, we're getting like 90-some people in the midweek Bible study. And uh, I know a lot of people are there for the right reasons, you know. Uh, more family members might come when they realize it was tri-tip or something. But, uh, <laughs> and that's great, you know. Uh, Jesus fed the loaves, right? Fed the, uh, you know, the many, the loaves, you know. And uh, multiplied the loaves and the fish and so forth. And we're here primarily because of Jesus and the Word of God, amen? We want to get fed His Word, which blows away any kind of physical food. But it's great to see you guys. We've got a great group of people here that love Jesus, and that's, that's always a blessing. Uh, turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be looking a little bit at 9 too, but mostly in chapter 10. And we're going to have a couple-part message called Triumphing Over Temptation. Triumphing Over Temptation. Is temptation a somewhat relevant subject to anybody? How about all of us? Amen. If you are not tempted ever, you do not have a pulse. Amen. Right? And if you look at others like, I can't believe that person would be tempted in any way, you know, or ever fall short of God's glory, then you're not an honest person with your own weaknesses, right? You're a Pharisee. Everybody falls short of the glory of God. Amen. It's one thing to be tempted. And by the way, temptation itself is not sin. You know, you can be tempted, but sin is when you pull the trigger in your heart and you, just, and you do something evil in your heart and you want to do and decide to do something evil in your heart, okay? It's been said that birds can fly around your head and that's not bad, but if they build a nest, that's your fault, right? In your hair, right? I think it was Martin Luther that said that, uh, the German theologian, the Protestant reformer. Uh, but, you know... Uh, you know, temptation can swirl around your head, but it's when you allow the temptation to build a nest, you begin to sin and even practice sin that becomes incredibly destructive to your life. And we have to overcome temptation, amen? And uh, the scriptures are very, very clear on it. In fact, it's amazing to me, when you look, just look at the scriptures and you look at what the Apostle Paul says about temptation, it should just basically cause you to like straighten up, like, whoa, this is a serious subject. It's a very, very serious subject. Amen? So in 1 Corinthians 10, let's look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. The temptations that have overtaken you in the past are not something, well, it's just I have this special set of temptations. No, the temptations that you have succumbed to are common to other men and women. You say, no, 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 Joe. I've got the strangest, weirdest temptations I've, that have tempted me. You have no idea. Guess what? There's probably millions of people you don't even know. Maybe not the common person that you know in your own vicinity or what have you, but people have just, Satan doesn't come up with anything ultimately new, okay? And you're not a special case. And God is not partial, but either is the devil. God is not partial, but either is the devil. He wants to bring as many, just like God wants all to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth, Satan wants all to be damned and to blind them to God's truth. Amen? 
And he wants you to succumb to temptation. No temptation is overtaking you, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Aren't you grateful that Satan can't just lock into a temptation and it's just like a, you're on a hook and you can't possibly get off it? No. And if you say, oh, the temptation was too strong. Wrong. You allowed it to be too strong. The Lord says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. I love this. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. He'll provide the way of escape also. So that you will be able to what? Endure it. You know, he provides a way of escape with any temptation that's ever come your way. Even the temptations that you've succumbed to. There's been a way, the way of escape has been there. I went hiking today with a couple of my grandchildren. And uh, we ended up in an area that I didn't want to go into, you know, uh, because it's a creek area and it's just overgrown with thickets. And I love going to that area when it's wet and, you know, there's, you know, water flowing through there and it's beautiful. But when it's, it's dry, it's part time of the year, right? It's at the end of summer, you know? And Eli's like, Pop up, you want to go through there again? And it's like, I'm like, not really, buddy. And uh, let's stay up on the trail. I've been trying to walk every day. And all of a sudden, uh, he goes, but then all of a sudden, uh, we hear this big noise. And we're all like, it's a bigger noise than normal. Not a squirrel noise, it's a big noise. And I see it looked like the rear end of a, of a uh, what was it, a raccoon, you know, took off. Okay, I'm chasing it. We're in that, we're in that, the thickets, you know. We're going after it, and my dog is going after it, and we couldn't catch up to it, but we stayed there for a while and just kept going to thickets. And all of a sudden, I was like, why did I do this? And Eli, he's the one that wanted to go there. And then he's like, why did we come down here? I go, you wanted to come down here, buddy. I go, but I, you know, was chasing that creature, man. And then we're, we stayed there for quite a while and trying to get through the poison oak because I'm like, oh, that could be nasty. And poor Justice, because they didn't even have shoes at first. We got some sandals and stuff together. Ariella didn't have any, so I had to take her to the candy store later. She'd be in tears otherwise. But anyway, Justice had these little tiny sandals on, right? A few years old. And he's like, and those little sandals that are slip-ons kept coming off. And he's like, and if you get, you know Justice, when he gets in a mode, he's hard to get out of that mode when he starts getting a little bit, you know, whiny. And uh, like, Justice, come on, just, we can do it, you know. He take off your shoes, he takes them off. That hurts. He put them back on. Then he lags behind. Anyway, as we're cruising up, and I finally, I, we came to this couple areas, trying to look at a way to get up and out, you know, up the hillside, but it's kind of steep and thick as well. And we finally found a place with, that had a little bit of uh, poison oak, but we just were careful, and I was holding it down and stuff. We're going through. And I told the little guys, I said, God has provided an agbasis for us. An agbasis. And that's the Greek word used here for escape. And the word ekbasis was used at times of a mountain pass, an escape route when you were in a war with an enemy that wanted to destroy you. And it looked like there was no way out. An ekbasis was a way out so you could survive. And we took this ekbasis. It took us like 10 minutes to get out of there, but we were happy. And I'm telling them what an ekbasis is. And, you know, I'm always throwing things at him like that. I don't, some will hopefully stick, right? He's got his mom and dad, so he's doing really, really good. Uh, because he, they, these kids get the word. But uh, we got out of there, and we were grateful, you know. We were walking a little while, and, you know, and just having a great time. But I was so grateful, you know, because we were going to be in the thickest for a long, long time, I thought. And you guys, when you're in a sticky situation, a place you don't want to be, a place like, wow, how did I end up here? 
God provides an ekbasis, a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that word, by the way, temptation right there in the Greek is parasmas. And that Greek word, you can translate that same word as translated trial throughout the New Testament as well. And so sometimes, you know, translators, when they're translating scripture into English, they have to choose, do I translate this word trial or temptation? But it's, incidentally, it's interesting that every trial has a temptation worked into it, right? And every temptation is also a what? Trial, right? They're two sides of the same coin. But before we get into this actual verse and do a deep dive into this verse, which I can't wait to do, which we don't have time to this Wednesday night because it'll be next Wednesday, part two. This is part two, two part message called Triumphing Over Temptation. I want to look at the broader context, the broader context. And Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church with regard to many, sometimes I call it first Californians, Californians, because the Corinthians were on the seaport. They were very affluent like us uh, here in California, and they had a lot, of, uh, a lot at their fingertips, including a lot of temptation, a lot of idolatry. It was a very progressive uh, place in uh, the Roman Empire at the time, and very, you know, licentious, a lot like the state that we live in in many ways, you know. There are very conservative pockets in our state, the counties and so forth that aren't in LA and so forth and still, thank God. Uh, but there's, it, you know, we live in a, not just a, a state like that, we live in a country that's becoming more and more liberal and there's a lot of temptation all around us. But Paul is dealing with a lot of temptations. Uh, I should say he's dealing with the church of Corinth which is surrounded by temptation, as we are. And he wants to give them an understanding of how to have victory over it. There's, there's pagan idols all around. There's Greek wisdom that's very enticing. Uh, there's just the pride of the human, fallen human nature. The, they have a struggle with the gifts and so forth. There's false teaching, uh, denying even the resurrection. Some of the, the leaders were that were trying to deceive people in this church. A lot of things going on. But, but let's not back up to chapter 10, verse 1, because if you back up to 10, 1, you'll see the very first word is the word for. Four is a conjunction. It connects it to chapter 9, the end of chapter 9. So let's see what he's saying before we get to the word for and what the four is there for. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. So he's using, of course, the Greek Olympics, which were going on in Paul's day, continue to be celebrated to this day. When we have the Olympics, they had their origins. And Paul was dealing with something that was going on way back then. And even though the Romans were ruling, the Olympics were still there. And Paul used, is, Paul used a lot of athletic competitions as examples of how to walk, how to be a Christian, how to live your life. And he says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They d- then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable, verse 25. Wow. So these guys are, you know, and I don't have time, a whole lot of time to spend on this, but I want to spend just a couple minutes so you really get this through your head. They exert all kinds of energy, all kinds of concern, and their whole lives revolved around making sure they could win the prize, making sure they'd run to win, making sure they'd get that wreath and be rewarded. 
But Paul says they're doing all of that for what kind of wreath? A perishable wreath. One that's going to just disappear in time. It's not even a gold medal back then, you know? At least a gold medal will last for a little while until you die, which isn't that long either, by the way, you know? And they, they just, it, their whole lives were concerned about exerting every ounce of their energy, concentration, their whole lives to get this imperishable wreath. And what does Paul say that we are going after? What kind of wreath are we going after? An imperishable wreath. Amen? We want eternal life. That's what we are looking forward to. James chapter 1, verse 12 says that after you've been tempted, the Bible says, blessed is the man, he says, who endures temptation, parasmos, for after he has been approved, passed the test, dokamos, passed the test, he will receive the crown, literally in the Greek, which is life. That's heavy. Then he goes on to talk about temptation. Let no one say when he's tempted, he's being tempted by God, for God does not tempt anyone. He talks about how temptation comes and which leads to lust, and lust leads to sin, which leads to death. And he says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. He's contrasting death with the crown, which is life. Pretty heavy. Pretty powerful. Blessed, happy, joyful is the man who endures temptation, for after he's been approved, he will receive the crown, which is life, which God will give to all those who love him. And in Revelation chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Jesus tells the church of Smyrna, he says, the devil will cast you, you into prison for 10 days that you may be tested. And then he says, he that overcomes doesn't give in and is faithful until death will receive the crown of life. In the Greek, literally, the crown which is life. We, it's not like you're going to be walking around with this crown. You're going to have something far better than a crown. I'm not saying you won't have any literal crowns, Okay. But what I'm saying is, what your ultimate, our ultimate goal is, a crown of life, eternal life. Amen? That's heavy. Be faithful in death, and you will see the crown of life, and you will not be hurt, by the way, it says, by the second death, which is contrasted to the crown of life. Just as James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, contrasts the crown of life with what? Sin that leads to lust, that leads to death. Isn't that heavy? So Paul is here saying, we're not going after something perishable. A lot of times people look at these as rewards. Oh, you want to get this reward. Paul's talking about something far more than reward. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about life, you know, in the context of these, so many of these crowns. There's some crowns that, you know, like the, the uh, soul winner's crown in Philippians. That's not life. That, that's the actual crown. You win, you know, people to Christ. That's your, they're like your crown in heaven. That doesn't mean you wear them around your head. <laughs> It doesn't mean they follow you around. A gal, I'm sure she meant well. She led my wife to Christ when she was cutting her hair. And my wife said she told her that she was her crown and that she'd be with her in heaven, you know. And they hang out together because she wanted Christ. I'm like, nah, I don't think that's how it works, you know. But uh, we don't know exactly what that looks like. But I think it's just when you see someone that you led to Christ in heaven, it's just a crown of rejoicing. You're just so joyful that that person made it. Amen. Now, it's interesting here. Because Paul goes on to say in verse 26, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Bam! I'm going for the knockout, man. I'm, go, I'm punching. I'm, I'm waylaying. I want the victory. I want to beat the enemy. I want to overcome. Amen? I'm not shadow boxing here. 
Paul says, I'm serious. Now verse 27, he says, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Wow. I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He's disciplining his body in such a way that after he's preached the message of salvation to other people, he himself is not disqualified because he wants the crown of life, amen, the imperishable wreath, amen. And Paul, you know, one of the passages I was looking at today, uh, you know, not had anything to do with my study tonight, but I was looking at Titus, or sorry, Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 18, 19, 20, 17, 18, 19, 20, where Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight and keep the faith and a good conscience of which some have suffered, have, re- have rejected and have become shipwrecked in regard to their faith of which is Hymenaeus and Philetus. You can shipwreck your faith, okay? And that's serious, you know? So he encourages you to press on in the faith, amen? And you don't want to ignore these warnings because these warnings are all to bless us. I look at the warnings as promises. I'm like, I love the God's warnings. You know why? Because they encourage me to just go forward and inherit the promises. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. He's all about them inheriting the promises. And it's, there's more warnings in that book than any of the New Testament books because he wants them to inherit the promises. And I love what Paul says here. He says, I'm preaching or I'm beating my body down so after I preach to others, I myself will not become disqualified. Now that word the Greek word. I've done studies on this word over and over again through the words because it fascinates me. What does it mean to be disqualified? Some translations fail the test, reprobate, you know, depraved, and so forth. Uh, the word is a dokamas. Dokamas is the word that's used to be approved, to pass the test. Remember James 1.12? Brethren, you know, happy are those, or blessed is the man who endures temptation for after he's been approved, dokamas, who receive the crown of life. Paul says he beats his body down so after he preaches to others, he does not become a dokamas. It's the same word, dokamas, with the prefix alpha, the A in front of it, the alpha in the Greek, adokamas, meaning it negates it. In Greek, the Greek negates the next word when you have the word, the alpha, the A. For instance, atheist. Drop the A and you just have theist. What's, a, what's a theist? Someone who believes in God. But an atheist is one that doesn't believe in God. Okay? Agnostic is one that d- says, I don't have any knowledge. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if there's a God or not. I'm an agnostic. I have no knowledge. So uh, right here, it's adakamas, to fail the test. In fact, it means not standing the test, not approved, a properly, uh, properly used of metals and coins, that which does not prove itself such as it ought, unfit for, unapproved, spurious, reprobate. Okay, it's interesting. Now, I've done an entire word study on this Greek word, adakamas, which I'm not going to roll out for this message because I want to get into a lot of the other scriptures, but it's just an interesting word when you look at adakamas. Now, it's interesting as well because... Paul talks about beating his body down so he doesn't become disqualified. Now, you guys, this is interesting because do you beat your body down? 
Do you fight temptation in such a way? I'm not talking about literally flagellating yourself with a whip. Some people misapplied that text, you know. Some of the Catholic monks, you know, flagellate. Uh, Martin Luther, before he started the Protestant Reformation, was whipping himself, flagellating himself, bl- bloody and bruised, man, you know. And that's not what Paul's talking about there. He's not talking about literally beating yourself up. If you come back next Wednesday and you're like, Joe, I'm overcoming temptation and you got a fat lip and two black eyes and it's working, then you're misunderstanding the text, okay? That's not what I'm saying, okay? Although there's times I have to admit, you know, when I seek the Lord, sometimes I'll, I'll beat my chest, you know? Lord, I want to be fully long to you, you know? And uh, so uh, today when I was driving with my kids, my grandkids, we're listening to the song, I Surrender All. I had it blasted. I love this woman's voice. She just brings you to tears sometimes when she sings. And, and I'm asking the grandkids, you know, you know, what does this mean to surrender everything, you know? And the song says, I, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. May thy Holy Spirit fill me. May I know thy power divine. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I surrender all, I surrender all. All thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And it goes on. I love that song, man. It's just, I love to sing that song. And I sing that as a prayer. You know, Lord, help me surrender everything to you. And when I was driving with them, you know, they're little kids, so you give little kid illustrations, you know. I say, what would happen if a police officer came up behind you with a gun, you know, and said, you know, put your hands up. What do you do? You put your hands up. You surrender, you know. And that, that means you're surrendering all of yourself to the will of that police officer at that point. I go, that's what we do with God, you know. And I asked them, why would we surrender everything to God? And one of the grandkids is like, because he made us, you know. Another one, because he loves us. Yes, we love him because he first loves us. Amen. And I threw in, of course, because he redeemed us. Amen. We've been bought with a price, the Bible says. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus, therefore glorify God in your bodies. Amen. So we're supposed to surrender everything to Jesus. We come to him. We, when we, if you're going to be my disciples, Jesus said you must what? Deny your what? Self. Take up your cross. Right? Daily. And follow him. Amen. So we want to make sure that we're fully surrendered to him. Uh, by the way, Paul, that word adokamos is only used a f- handful of times in the New Testament. And when Paul uses it in regard to an issue like this, it's like so severe. What is he saying? What does it mean to be adokamos? Go to 2 Corinthians, where Paul uses it again with the Corinthians, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is warning people who are not beating their bodies down. And to beat your body down means that you seriously keep your body in subjection to the Lord God and the power of the Holy Spirit, submitted to God and his will, and that you just don't do your own thing in rebellion to God and just live your own life independent of God. You keep your body in order. Like the Olympian who's serious about how he is with his body, you're like, I'm seriously going to keep my body in God's will and not go outside of his will for my life. And do my own thing and live a life of rebellion against God. And there are certain people that weren't doing that at the church of Corinth. And Paul uses this word of them. 
Those who were unrepentant, he says, are, are adakamas. He says, I beat my body down so after I preach to others, I myself won't become adakamas. But he says, guess what? Some of you are adakamas. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn. I may mourn. And that's the word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 of what the church Corinth should have been doing with regard to a guy that was having sex with his father's wife. He goes, you guys are rejoicing or puffed up or glorying in this, but you should be mourning. They should be like a funeral. Excommunicate this guy from the church, he said. They should have went through the steps of church discipline, but they didn't. So Paul pulls his apostolic authority and says, out of here. He's got to leave that church if he's going to be doing that. You guys should be mourning unless that little bit of leaven spreads throughout the entire church. That's what happens if people are allowed to just run, you know, live in wicked sin and perversion in a church and it doesn't, it goes unchecked. It, it sends a message that, oh, that's what Christianity is and people, other people fall. Well, he says, I may mourn over many of those who have what? Look at the middle of verse 21. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not what? They have not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality, which they have what? Practiced. That's the key word. They practiced. Okay, all, all of us come short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect, amen? Nobody here is walking. If you're perfect, let me, let me know and we'll go into the parking lot. We'll fill a tub or fill a pool with water and watch you walk across it. Okay, no one's absolutely perfect yet. We strive for that. Be perfect as my, your Father in heaven is perfect. Be holy as he is holy. We strive to glorify the Lord and love him in such a way where we're fully obedient. But we all fall short. It's one thing to fall short and repent and say, God, have mercy on me. Get back up and go forward and try to do the best you can. And, you, and of, of course, you're going to need his grace every day in some way because the scriptures are clear. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And whenever you think you've loved perfectly as Jesus has loved throughout a day, I don't know that I could do that. I try, but I, I, absolute perfection. You know, where I've loved exactly how Jesus loved. That's how, that's my, I always say, okay, I want to, be exactly what you want me to be. And I look at those scriptures because I don't want to ever fool myself thinking I've arrived because I know I haven't. But guess what? There's one thing to strive to be like him, looking at the cross and knowing you're saved by his grace, but loving him and being thankful and living a holy life because of the cross. And there's another thing to practice rebellion against him and not care and not repent. That's serious. So there's some, he says, they're in sin and, they, which they're, and they're practicing it, verse 21. They won't repent. In other words, they didn't just drink too much one night, which is wrong, can be very, very destructive, but they're just drunkards. Or they're not just, they didn't just fall into sexual sin at a certain time, but they're habitually continuing to sleep outside of the marriage bed with a woman or in fornication or what have you. They're not just, they didn't just snap and lose their temper at one time and say something they shouldn't have, but they're just constantly reeling on other people, constantly mocking people and complaining and, and calling people names. Whatever it is, we can't be practicing these things. They didn't just put something before God and get caught up in something and say, oh, wow, well, I shouldn't have done that. But they're always putting something before God, idolatry, whatever it is. And that's serious because Paul's talking about these folks. And look what he says in verse 5 of chapter 13. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. 
Test yourselves. Remember, Dokamas is about passing the test. And now he says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. He emphasizes it again. By the way, I have a whole message I'm almost done with about testing ourselves. So I'm not preaching tonight, obviously, but test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you what? Christ is in you. Jesus Christ is in you. Test yourself if you're in the faith. You can test yourself. Christ is in you. He's living in you. I mean, you're a saved child of God. You're regenerated. Unless you what? You fail the test. Guess what the Greek word is there? Adokimas. That's right, Annie. Adokimas. The English lady that speaks German and also some Greek. Adokimas. The American lady that speaks English. She's not an English lady. <laughs> Adokimas. That's what Paul said. He beats his body down so he doesn't become like these guys right here. Well, Paul, is he concerned about that? Yeah. That's why Paul says in chapter 10, verse 12, a little bit later, take heed when you stand, lest you fall. Let him who thinks he stand, take heed, lest he fall. He recognized he could fall. And guess what? A.T. Robertson, considered by many to be the foremost Greek scholar, American Greek scholar ever, dead for some time now. I have his word pictures in the Greek. They're amazing. He says in that word picture of the Greek, he says, if the apostle Paul, something to the effect of the greatest herald of Christ ever was concerned that he could become a docamas, we should be concerned too. We should take this seriously. Now, 1 Corinthians, let's go back there. Let's understand that when you are fighting temptation, you have to realize, well, go to 1 Corinthians 6, back all the way to chapter 6. Look at what Paul says long before you get to chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Or do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you know that? In other words, guess what? Some people don't know that. This is right after he's chastening them because they're allowing this guy that's having sex with his father's wife to be in good standing in the church. He goes, don't you realize that guy's not going to heaven? Don't you realize he's not getting in? Don't you know that? Not just him, the unrighteous, plural. Do not be deceived. In other words, if you do believe that you can live a wicked life and refuse to repent, and you're going to heaven, you are under deception. And guess what's happening right now in the church in America? Millions of people are under that deception. Millions of people believe that they can be in total rebellion to God and they're going to heaven. They're taught that by their pastors. It's a total, absolute deception. And Paul points that out over and over and over again. Right here, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such what? Were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the Spirit of God. But guess who he's warning? He's warning them. Back up to verse 8. On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. He's warning them who are doing sin against their brethren. Then he says in verse 9, or do you not know? I mean, guess what? You've been delivered. You've been washed. You've been regenerated. You've been born again. God set you apart. Don't go back to that lifestyle. So then go now go to back to, now go to 1 Corinthians 10, a few chapters later. 
He's saying he beats his body down so after he's preached to others, he himself would not become a docomas. And then we're ready now for chapter 10, verse 1. Remember, there's no chapter breaks in the Greek letter that Paul wrote. So right after he says he beats his body down, so after he's preached to others, I myself will not become a docomas. What does it mean to be a docomas? It means to be outside the faith and without Christ, according to chapter 13, verse 5. Now look at chapter 10, verse 1. For, for, it connects it now, I want, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, because earlier he didn't want them to be deceived to think the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God, right? Now he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They're all under the cloud? Yeah, God's protection, canopy of protection from the heat, you know? His glory, they're in his glory, and all passed through the sea. Wow. And all were baptized into Moses. By, these, by the way, these are all pictures of our experiences in Christ. Greater experiences than they had. And all ate the same spiritual food. Wow. They're all baptized, verse 2, into Moses. Guess what? We are under his covering, amen? We've been partakers of his glory, Amen? We've been baptized into Christ, amen? And, the, and it goes on to say, they all ate the same spiritual food. Guess what? That spiritual food, Jesus says, I'm the bread that's come down from heaven. We partake of him, amen? Verse four, and all drank the same spiritual drink, right? They drank the water from the rock. He goes on to say, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was what? Christ. He's talking about how they experienced relationship with Jesus in the Old Testament when he delivered them from Egypt. And they had all these wonderful experiences. Could they then say, well, since I've had all these wonderful experiences, I can now live in rebellion to God? No. And then Paul, that's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. You were washed. You were justified, right? Sanctified, right? You've had all these great experiences. Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's incongruent with what God has done in you. Don't live that way. Don't go back. And Paul knows he can go back. That's why he beats his body down. That's why Paul says God has given us a way of escape. He knows there's a choice. But guess what? Paul chooses to make the choice to follow Jesus. And Paul continued to persevere in his faith to the very end. But one of the ways he persevered was heeding God's warnings to persevere in the faith. Amen? They all drank the same spiritual drink. Remember, Moses hit the rock. They're all like complaining, we need water. We're dehydrated. Bam, water comes out. We're gulping it up. Praise God. That's a picture of Jesus crucified. Water comes out of him. We go to Jesus. We receive the water of life. Amen. Salvation. The Holy Spirit. Remember Moses hit the rock a second time and he was angry? That was a no-no. It ruined the typology a little bit or a lot of it. Verse 5. Nevertheless, nevertheless, even though, this is a very important, even though they had all these incredible experiences, and he emphasizes at the very end how they were drinking from Christ. He saves the strongest connection to their, the reality that they, they, they had the reality of experiencing Jesus in the wilderness. Nevertheless, despite all that, with most of them, God was not what? Well, please. With, does it say with a few of them? Some of them? Most of them. God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. What does it mean they were laid low in the wilderness? What do you think that means? That means they just slept for a little while? No, it means 
they were destroyed. He punished them. It's very, very serious stuff, you know. Uh, very serious. I mean, you read a lot about, a lot of people got killed in the wilderness by God. I mean, just not long after the Red Sea, I mean, Mount Sinai, they're partying, man. Moses goes up the mountaintop. He's up at Mount Sinai receiving the law. Remember that? What were they doing below? They were partying, that's right. They made a golden calf. They're dancing around it, crying out, singing, having an orgy. Because Moses took a long time. And when Moses came down, man, he threw that, he was so upset. Law broke. Picture of them breaking the law. 3,000 people were put to death. Bam. Wow. Oh, guess what they were calling the golden calf? Yah. Yahweh. Oh, it's all, we all worship the same God. That's syncretism. Amalgamationism where you try to bring all these different religions or different religions. Oh, we could be one. I was just watching a uh, video online some time ago, just last week, I think, where it had, uh, is it Ganesa? That, the monkey god? The elephant monkey god. That monkey, no, it's the elephant boy. You guys know that Renal Ripple? He's like a shape of an elephant and this little boy. Is that Ganesh? Ganesh, okay, that's Ganesh. And Ganesh, they got this big statue of Ganesh and they're all walking, there's this huge pilgrimage, you know? And all of a sudden they bring it into a Roman Catholic church and all the Catholics are like, oh, Ganesh, this Hindu God. I'm like, what in the world? You know, and you can call that, you can call Ganesh Jesus or whatever you want. He's not Jesus. And what happens is uh, when they went up, when Moses went up, they, you know what it says? This is really crazy. It says in Deuteronomy, it says in the Old Testament, when they saw that Moses had delayed his coming, they saw oh, he's not coming for a long time. And they began to do these things. That's a picture. Moses is a picture of Christ, isn't he? We've talked about that before. Just as Jesus left heaven, Moses was at the right hand of Pharaoh. He left his position in Egypt. Just as Jesus identified with his people, so did Moses, right? Just as Moses went into the wilderness, so did Jesus. Just as they said to Moses, we will not let you reign over us, remember? Uh, early on before he took off, they said, they're not going to let Jesus reign over him, them. Amen. Jesus, Moses was a shepherd for a while. Jesus is a good shepherd. Amen. Moses, when he was a baby, he right, his life was spared even when he was a child. Same with Jesus. He pictured Jesus. Jesus warned, don't, in the last days he talks about, he talks about, don't say, my Lord delays my, his coming. And begin to get drunk with the drunkards. Woo, same, there's a picture there, guys. Don't say, ah, oh, he's not coming back for a while. Boom, because he'll come back and you won't be ready. Amen? So what's interesting about this passage is they were laid low in the wilderness and wiped out. And then we read in verse 6. Now these things happened as what? Examples for us. These things that happened in the Old Testament, they're written down. Why? They happen as what? Examples for you and me. Why? so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. See what he's saying? These things that happened to them, God did that, yes, because he was concerned about his holiness and people truly being sincere and following him, but it was also a warning to us. A warning to us. In fact, look at verse 11. He repeats this. 
Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were what? Written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Why? Verse 6 at the end, so we would not crave evil things. So we went like lust after wickedness. Wickedness does not bless you ultimately, guys. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but then there's a kickback and it's never worth it because the end of sin is death, amen? And that's one way you overcome temptation. You recognize there's nothing in it. It's hollow, but it's not just, it's not just neutral hollow. It's negative, it's death, it's poison, amen? That's what you have to keep in mind to overcome temptation. That it leads to death, destruction. Sin destroys relationships, amen? Destroys people. It's very, very, very serious. I've seen people through the years and it just breaks my heart so much that have fallen into sin and ruined relationships with their spouses, kids, friends, because they've fallen into sin and they put some kind of temporal pleasure that ends up being destructive to them before relationships and your main relationships, the relationship with God. If you practice sin and refuse to repent, your sin separates you from God. That's serious stuff. Now, when we read verse 6, now these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Some say, oh, and I, I, I hate it when people do this. Oh, well, that was the Old Testament. Oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. Really? The God of the Old Testament? Why are you, you know, Gnostic now? You know? Are you, you know, succumbing to Marcionism? Marcion was the heretic a Gnostic heretic who in the second century was saying that Jesus and the Old Testament God were different and he used certain books only in the New Testament and he condemned the Old Testament God as always a different God than the New Testament God. Oh, he had a hard time with even the text he tried to keep because they referred positively to the God of the Old Testament as the same God, amen? The Lord Jesus Christ was not, did, the Christian faith was not born in a vacuum. It wasn't based on pagan religions and mystery religions. It's based on the Old Testament prophets, amen, and the prophetic writings. And Jesus was the prophesied coming Messiah, the Mashiach, amen. Even the Lord's Supper is rooted in the ancient Passover service that God gave to Moses. And when he had Passover, he was celebrating the Passover service, you know. <laughs> and uh, it all pointed to him. And he used all the symbolism. It was all pregnant with meaning about the coming Messiah and what he would do for his people. Now, it's interesting when you think about this, and you think of what he's saying here, he's saying, hey, look back at the Old Testament. Take a peek at the past and let it inform you about who you are right now and your future. Because they were laid low in the wilderness. They were scattered, and they didn't enter into the promised land. Most of them, it says. In fact, a very small number of the original People that left Egypt went into the promised land. Isn't that true? Joshua and Caleb, that's right. He went like this instead of this. He weren't giving me a peace sign, huh, sister? <laughs> Lord is like, yeah, two, Joshua and Caleb. That's right. Only two? That blows me away. When I think of how many people got in the ark, oh no, it's only eight. When I think of Lot and his family who leave Sodom, I'm like, wow, that was just a few as well. And his wife didn't make it all the way either. She looked back. Talk about examples. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. He told us, take a peek at the past. Don't turn back. And many of these uh, Jews or Israelites who had been freed from the bondage of Egypt, they went back. They want, or I should say in their hearts they did, they want to go back to Egypt. The world has nothing to offer you. It's just death. Amen? 
And we're not supposed, don't say, oh, that was the Old Testament. God's different now. No, God's not different. You know how they were saved in the Old Testament? Read Hebrews 11 by faith. It's Hall of Faith chapter. They were never saved by the law. No one could ever be saved by the law. And Jesus says in Hebrews 13, 8, it's the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever, amen. And I can show you the word love in the Old Testament more than I can in the New Testament. And I can show you talk, Jesus talking about hell and describing it in more vivid terms in the New Testament than I can show you Yahweh describing it in the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? Read the book of Revelation. He's still a God, not only of love, but also of wrath. Amen? So when you think, oh, well, that was the Old Testament. We're under grace now. Yeah, we're absolutely under grace. But guess what? It's more severe to turn away from him and commit apostasy under grace than it was under the law. That's what Hebrews 10 is about. If we go on sinning, that means unrepentant, rebellion against the Lord, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, and Paul said, God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He goes, but after we've, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, then we, we he, the author even includes himself in the warning, if we go on sinning willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only a fearful looking for a fire indignation which will consume the adversaries of God. For if they were killed or destroyed under the witness of two or three witnesses, under the law of Moses, Old Testament, how much severe, how much severe or how, much, how worse will the punishment be, the author of Hebrews says, will it be upon those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God? Consider the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified an unholy thing. It's worse under grace to be in rebellion. Do you know the church has been taught the opposite? Most people think, oh, well, we don't live in the Old Testament times, so if I go get drunk and I chase women around, I don't live for God, oh, I'm fine. Don't be deceived. Let no one deceive you, Paul says. The unrighteous, don't be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's one of Satan's greatest deceptions. One thing I noticed since I've been a new Christian, because I would mark those things in my Bible. I, it's because I came out of the New Age movement. I came out of the occult, New Age thinking. And when I came to the truth, I did not, I did not want to be deceived. So those kinds of scriptures, like when I read Matthew 24, you know, that we've many false Christs and false prophets see to it that you're not deceived. Okay, Jesus, I want to be real careful here because I was involved in spiritual deception. I was being deceived before I was a Christian. So then I would read the scriptures where when Paul would say, don't be deceived on certain issues, I want to make sure I wasn't deceived. You know what I noticed? Every time I saw a passage where it says not to be deceived in the church, that's exactly where I saw the church being deceived. And it showed me that's where Satan was working overtime. Or when I saw don't be ignorant on certain things. Don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. The church was ignorant about spiritual gifts. Those who were into the spiritual gifts were ignorant. They, it seemed like they read 1 Corinthians 14 less than people that didn't believe in the gifts. I was like, what in the world's going on here? You know, it says not to all speak in tongues at once. What are you doing? Or it says, I don't want to have you be ignorant about Israel. Now, God's not done with Israel. He's not finished, right? He's got a plan for them. Then you have all these highfalutin ivory tower theologians. Oh, God's done with Israel, cessationism. I'm like, it tells you not to be ignorant about his, his, still with, his promises still avail for Israel and all Israel will be saved in the end, amen? So I was like shocked. And then I see concerning Christ coming, I've been gathered together to him. Don't be deceived to think that that day of us being gathered to him is gonna happen before the Antichrist comes. Okay, I got that. I become more aware of the church is believing because I'm like, okay, don't be deceived into thinking that 
Christ's going to rapture you before the Antichrist comes and the fallen away. Then I start finding, well, it's the church believes we'll just be raptured. I'm like, wait a minute. You got the car before the horse says not to be deceived in that area. Then I'd read scriptures where it says, don't be deceived to think that the wicked will inherit the kingdom of God. And then the most popular teachings on the radio, I'd be driving on. What? Basically, they're saying that you can live a wicked life, but don't worry, you'll just lose your rewards. You'll still inherit the kingdom of God. I'm like, that's not what the text says. Are you with me today? Just heartbreaking. Stick with the scripture. It's not just mainstream secular media that can be very deceptive. Mainstream Christian teaching oftentimes is very deceptive. I'd read scriptures where Paul warns about not being deceived by money-hungry preachers who are preaching that godliness is a means of financial gain. You turn on Trinity Broadcasting Network and that's almost all you get exclusively. Guys teaching that. What in the world's going on? Straight. Narrow is the gate. Amen. And strays away at least to life. And few go that way. But broad is the way of destruction. Many go that way. And there are many false prophets. You have to stick to the scripture. You have to stay. Very few entered into the promised land. And now, I want to give you some encouragement along these lines. Because I want you to think, wow, I'm looking around. Is it two or eight that will be saved out of all of us believers on earth today? No, that's not what he's saying. How do you know that? I know that because first, or the book of Revelation says, it says in chapter 7 that a great multitude from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue that no man can number throughout the earth will be washed in the blood of the Lamb during the tribulation period. Amen? So that means there's believers everywhere, but guess what? There's far, there are far fewer in comparison to those that complete, com, call themselves Christians as to those who really are believers. Amen? Are you with me this evening? So when you go to 1 Corinthians or Romans chapter 11, don't go there, but you can, 18 through 22, Paul makes the argument. Don't say, you know, ah, oh, those were the Jews, God broke them off, but we're special. We're Gentile believers. Look at Romans 11, 118 says, Paul says, don't be arrogant toward the branches, the, the Jews that fell away. But if you're arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in quite right. They were broken off. That, you, that I may be, uh, uh, because of their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches of the Old Testament Jews, when Christ came, who rejected him, he didn't spare them, he will not spare you either. See then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So Paul argues from the greater, the natural branches to the lesser. We're the lesser branches. We're the unnatural branches that were grafted in. We should be very thankful that for, the, for uh, the Jews, amen, and love them and not be ignorant, but also say, guess what? If God did that to them, the natural branches in the Old Testament, draw a line from what he did. Paul, Paul is talking about something that happened 1,500 years earlier almost to Jews as an illustration that we have to be serious about our walks with God. Look at verse 7. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do not be idolaters, right? Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as is written, 1 Corinthians 10, 7. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Don't be idol worshipers, man. Oh, they worshiped the golden calf and, you know, they were, worshiped idols through the wilderness journey at times. And Well, guess what? They were wiped out, many of them. And I talked about what idols are in our age, right? 
Well, we're not, I'm not worshiping a golden calf, but we talked about how you can, the Bible warns the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Terrible times would come. Men will be lovers of self. Some people put themselves before God. Some people love, it says, oh, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Some people love pleasures more than God. They don't have time for God. Oh, I don't need to go to Bible study. I don't need to go to church, you know. God knows I love them deep, deep down. I just love my booze, too. I just love my women, too. No, you can't have, you can't serve God and mammon. I just love my money, too. Got to put Jesus first. Verse 8, nor are we to commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Man, guys, 23,000 in a day punished, laid low in the wilderness because of sexual immorality. Again, it says in Hebrews chapter 13 that the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Serious stuff. Don't be messing around with sexual sin. Amen? Verse 9, nor are we to put the Lord to the test as some of them did and were killed by the snakes. Wow. What does it mean to put God to the test? Think of it. If you're a parent, you know when your kid puts you to the test, what are they doing? When your kid's putting your test, what are they doing? They're doing something wrong, but they're also doing it with the attitude of seeing how much or what they can get away with, right? That's what they're doing. And when you're like, oh, you know, how oh, I can get away with this. I can get away with that. Bam, I'm sorry. Eventually it comes, man. You got to repent. You got to get right. Don't mess with God. Don't put him to the test. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Wow, I wish I had time to get into all these Old Testament pictures. If we were going through the book of 1 Corinthians, I would take my time, okay, on this, but I'm trying to cover a lot of ground, you know? And uh, usually I take my time too much for some people. I mean, not you guys, because we like to dig deep, but nor grumble as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroyer. Don't be a whiner. Don't be a grumbler. They were complainers. Don't be one of those people that's constantly complaining. Look to have grace, amen? Look to be merciful. Recognize that God had mercy on you. Amen? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, right? You want to be full of love and grace and mercy as a human being, amen? Jesus saved you. You're supposed to become Christ-like. Was Jesus a mean-spirited guy just looking to... No, he was full of grace and mercy, constantly loving people, Everyone that came to him, he sought to bless, you know. If they were in error, he'd seek to correct them, you know. He's full of grace and mercy, the Bible says. Full of grace and truth. And people, if they know you personally, they should know you as a person of grace, okay. They should know that you're a loving person. That's how you ought to be as a Christian, amen. You, can hold, you need to hold the truth, but you need to speak the truth in love, amen. You don't want love without truth, and you don't want truth without love. You want both. The Bible says speak the truth in love. Love, amen? That's very, very important. You don't want to be a complainer, a whiner. You know, what happened with these guys, they were delivered from Egypt, man. And the, and the profound agony of what it meant to, you know, have their workload doubled under Pharaoh. And they left Egypt. They were set free by the living God. And before you knew it, all they could focus in on was the hard times. There's a picture there for us, guys. We've been delivered just as, just as we have not been baptized, only not, just, not to see Moses, but... The, right, into Christ, amen, and that we partake of Christ, we have far greater deliverance. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you've been delivered from the world system, spiritual Egypt, amen. You've been delivered from the power of sin, amen. You've been delivered from the penalty of sin, amen. You've been delivered from Satan in the demonic realm, amen. You've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son, amen. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have eternal life right this moment, and you are secure in Christ if you're trusting Jesus, if you're trusting Jesus, you have security. You're secure in Christ. 
I believe in eternal security for believers. Believers are the ones that are given security, amen? I'm eternally secure as long as I'm trusting Jesus. The Bible doesn't promise the apostate security. I'm secure in Christ. Look at all the things that we have, man. My name, your name is written in heaven. How beautiful is that? We've been delivered from the power of Satan. We're delivered from the power of death. We're delivered from hell, amen? So we have so much to be thankful for. And when we get a little blister on our hand, oh, I can't believe it, and that becomes the big deal in our life. No, that hurts, that's a bummer, okay? That's a bummer, but praise the Lord, I have a hand to get a blister on. Yeah. Amen? Amen? It's all perspective, man. Praise the Lord, I have a hand to get a blister on, amen? Praise the Lord, I have a body to get sick in. And praise the Lord for the resurrection, amen? And praise the Lord for whatever we're going through because he promises that he works all things together for the good, for the good for those who love and are the call according to his purpose. Amen. We should be thankful people. Not whiners, not complainers, but look at what he's done for you. You have eternal life. I have eternal life. We don't deserve it. We deserve hell. We should be thankful every day. But I'm going through this right now. I'm not saying when you're going through something, don't pray, don't weep. There's a time for those things. Amen. But don't let that characterize who you are and become for the rest of your life. Amen. Don't be a whiner and a complainer. Be thankful in the midst of your trials. Oh, you know what? I can't believe you're saying that because I just complained and had a hard time. Hey, sometimes you go through a hard time. You go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm having a hard time. That's not a bad thing. But when you become atheistic, a practical atheist in it, maybe you're not, you're not an atheist in your mind, but you just live like an atheist where you don't look to the Lord. You don't trust him. You just look at your circumstances. And instead of being an overcomer, overcomer, you are under the circumstances constantly and whining and complaining. You're like them in the wilderness. Don't let that happen to you. Be thankful for the deliverance you have grace. Be well, I'm facing these circumstances. Be thankful that the Lord allows you to face circumstances with, a, with his grace, amen? And that you have an opportunity to, you know, touch people, affect people, live for the Lord, and be a change agent for Jesus, amen? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God of salvation, everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Greek. I could tell you right now, if I didn't have Jesus... And I saw what's going on in the election right now. I'd just be complaining. Can't believe this. How could be people, people be so dumb? How could they do this? You know, and how could they miss this? And how, you know, but I don't go there. You know why? Oh yeah, I mean, I do think like, yeah, how could people do this? <laughs> I'm being honest, you know, but I don't live there because I keep my focus on Jesus, Amen. I keep, I keep rejoicing in who I am in Christ and the deliverance I have and the fact that I've been set free from Egypt, amen? That I'm going to the promised land. That I have a relationship with Jesus. You do as well if you're trusting him, amen? Stay focused on Jesus. No matter what happens regarding the election, because right now they don't know who won still, right, supposedly. Whatever happens, our, our, our hope is not in Biden. Our hope is not in Trump, amen? Our hope is in Jesus, amen? And we know whoever's president... I didn't mean to make a shooting sound. I just, first time I ever did that, man. Oh, I should have breathed out of the, that side of my mouth. But <laughs> whoever uh, ends up president, we know. Uh, most likely the one after that is not going to be as good as whoever this next one is. Unless it's the bad, really, really bad guy. Uh, but you know what? I'll tell you what, guys. You have to put your hope in Jesus. The Bible says, cursed is the one who puts his hope in man. Amen? We're not supposed to look to the world system to meet our bring us joy, to bring us hope. Amen? We're supposed to look to the Lord Jesus Christ for hope and grace and love and mercy. And we're looking forward to his return, the blessed hope, 
Right up there, man. Look at that scripture. The blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. We're looking for it, says this. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people zealous for good deeds. Let's be a people that are purified and zealous for good deeds, for serving Jesus. Amen? You know when something's written down and you first see it a few times, you love it, then it just becomes written down. You never look at it. I'm like, we should look at those scriptures more. They're right there on our walls. They're huge, too. Great scriptures. You guys, look at what we have in the Lord. Rejoice. In the midst of all this ugliness, somebody say, I bet you're really bummed out if it turns out really, really bad. I say, yeah, I feel horrible for where this country's going. But I praise God for where I'm going and where you could be going. Amen? And praise the Lord. They don't have the... All the Congress, you know, the House and the Senate. Amen. I'm sorry. Don't get too political, but I'm praising God for that. Okay. There's always things to praise God for. Amen. And if they owned all that and praise God, well, then it's like we're really close. Amen. Verse 11. Now these things happen to them as examples and were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Uh, we already looked at that. Again, they're given as example. God gives us examples. Jude chapter 1. Verse 6 says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in, in darkness, bound for the everlasting chain, with everlasting chains for the judgment of the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example to those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Even what God did to the angels, man, even what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, we're done as examples of what will happen to those who seek sexual sin. So we have a lot of examples. J.C. Ryle said, there are few warnings in Scripture more solemn than this. Our Lord Jesus Christ says to us, remember Lot's wife. That's an example I mentioned earlier. Now it's interesting. Verse 12. Verse 12 now. Therefore let him who thinks he stands, what? Take heed that he does not fall. Do you think Paul practiced what he preached? He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul thought he stood, didn't he? Was he taking heed so he wouldn't fall? Just read verses 9, 24 through 27 again. I can't, I mean, I'm like, wow. Paul is, practices what he preaches. He's beating his body down. So after he preaches the other, he was become a docomas. And I love that about Paul. And I really, because it's the word of God, but I also praise God that Paul is a living example for us. He says, follow me as I follow Christ at the very next chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. And I will say, wow, that means I'm supposed to beat my body down. So after I preach to others, I myself will not become a docomas. So I might have the eternal wreath, amen. And I want to make sure I don't fall into these different things that we're reading about. I want to take heed when I think I stand lest I fall. You ought to do that as well. You know, a guy who didn't, what man in the, Old, in the New Testament did not really think about paying attention when he stood lest he fell and ended up falling bad. Three times he denied the Lord. Who's that? Come on. There's a big hint right there, right? Yes, Peter, amen. Peter learned though, man. First Peter 5, 8, after he was restored, he wrote, be sober of spirit. We have sober spirit. Be on alert because he wasn't on the alert at the time. He's falling asleep instead of praying like Jesus said. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You need to keep your head on a spiritual swivel. 
You need to be uh, eyes open and sober-minded, moral-minded about living righteously in the Lord. Because Satan is like a prowling lion, man. He's constantly trying to get you to fall. Him and his demonic host. You're constantly going to throw temptations your way. So you want to make sure you're wise and watch out for things that come into your life suddenly that you may not really think twice about, but you ought to think twice about. You ought to always be aware, is this from the enemy? You know how many millions of men and women would not have fallen if they would have said, is this possibly from the enemy? You know how many people would not have fallen into all kinds of sin, whether it's sexual, whether it's theft, murder, anger, drugs, you know, if they would have just paid attention. Pay attention. Keep your head on a spiritual swivel. Jesus said to Peter before he fell, pray that you do not enter into temptation. Matthew 25, 41. I'm sorry, 26, 41. The spirit is willing, but the what? The flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. That's why we have to beat it down and make our flesh slaves to us. Paul says, I make my body my slave. The Bible says, don't yield the members of your bodies over to temptation or to sin, but as instruments of righteousness, which the end is not death, he says, in this case, the end is life. Again, there's that constant, you know, contrast. And then we have 10, or chapter 10, verse 13. But we're not going to look at that. That's next week. I knew I wouldn't have time to look at that. Next time you're te- tested to listen, tempted to crave evil things, remember 1 Corinthians 10. Remember 1 Corinthians 9, how Paul beat his body down, amen. Next time you're tempted to be involved in sexual sin, remember 1 Corinthians 10, how he laid them low in the wilderness, amen. Next time you are tempted to put something before God and commit idolatry, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, amen. Next time you're tempted to see what you can get away with, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and what happened in the Old Testament, amen. Next time you're tempted uh, to just lust after things, remember what happened to the, those in the wilderness journey. Next time you're tempted to be ungrateful and be a whiner and a complainer and, and just not be grateful to Jesus, remember all that he's done for you and remember what he did to the complainers, amen. Next time... <laughs> You put confidence in your flesh and you think that you don't have to pay attention. Remember what happened to them in the wilderness. Amen. I want to encourage you guys to, I really think a huge key of having victory spiritually, honestly, I think this is one of the biggest keys, is being thankful. I really, really do. Is being a person of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. That's a huge key for victory in your walk with Jesus. To, have, to triumph over temptation. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen? That's what the Bible says. When you have joy in the Lord and who he is and what he's done for you and the eternal future that you have with him, as long as you have joy in the Lord, amen, and your faith is in him, you become invincible in Christ. Not because of your own power, but because of him and who he is. Amen? Because if you are rejoicing in the Lord and who he is and what he's done for you, amen, and you're at peace with the Lord, amen? Satan can't tempt you and say, hey, come over here, man. Do something like this, or get involved in that, or change your lifestyle, or whatever. You, oh, he, the guy fell into a midlife crisis. 
A midlife crisis, it's not like a disease, man. It's a decision that you people make, amen? And all of a sudden, they come to a point in life where they feel like, oh, this, my life's going the wrong direction. I want to just have this. It doesn't just happen. It's decisions that we make. And each one of us need to keep our hands to the plow. And God has delivered us from Egypt. We don't look back. God has delivered us from Sodom. We don't look back. When we were walking, there was this little pony. But it was, my dog stopped to check it out. Like a pointer. He's not a pointer, but he's like, he didn't point. He just kind of like looking. And then I'm like, what's he looking at? I see, and it's like this little pony, but it's like a statue, right? And he's like, And uh, I was going to make a little joke, you know, with my grandchildren. I go, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? I was going to say that that was her donkey, you know, look back to, but, you know. <laughs> but they were like, Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> my grandkids know a lot for little kids, you know, but I thought, okay, we got we to brush them up on Sodom and Gomorrah there. So I thought I'll save that for next time after I go through the story with them. Anyway, <laughs> but you guys, let's remember Lot's wife, to remember what happened in Egypt after they left. But let's also remember those who persevered, those who kept the faith, amen? Hebrews chapter 11, how, you know, uh, all of them, it says, died in the faith. And how many we have that have gone before us, this cloud of witnesses that we're able to look at and how they persevered, amen? Let's look at Paul, who says, follow me a little bit later as I follow Christ, amen? And let's just follow his example so each and every one of us will inherit the promises, amen? We're going to do that? Come on, our lives are just short vapors, man. They're here and gone. Let's keep our hands to the plow. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. He's our forerunner, amen, who's gone before us. Let's just keep following him to the end and we'll be fully blessed forever and ever, amen. And the cool thing to know is if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you're trusting him right now, guess what? You're already supremely blessed. One last thing I share with you. So I'm looking at my clock and it says 11.45. As I say it, it turned to 46. I want to encourage you guys. When they were bit by snakes, what did the Lord do? He had Moses put up a pole and put a what? Snake on it, right? So they'd be looking at this cross. And if anybody looked to that, even though they'd sinned and they complained and they were bitten by snakes, they'd be healed. Amen? They look, they get the life. Then Jesus says, Jesus said this in John 3, right? I love it. So he gives us, even if we've blown it, he gives you an opportunity to get right. He says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Amen. That whoever believes in him should have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but that they should have everlasting life. And he did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. Look to Jesus. And if you fall in short, you say, man, I needed this message. I'm convicted right now. What's the way out? What's the ekbosis? Jesus is the ekbosis. He's the way of escape. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. No one comes to the Father but through me. Go to Jesus, man. Get forgiveness and just abide in Christ and continue to seek him now and forevermore. Amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand?